Hi there, and welcome to the Airlight Podcast. I'm Aaron Winslow, the managing editor here at Airlight. For today's episode, I was fortunate enough to have a Zoom conversation with Monica De La Torre and Alexandra Balju, the editors of the new anthology, Women in Concrete Poetry, 1959 to 1979, out now from Primary Information Press. Concrete poetry was one of the most important post-war avant-garde literary movements. It was truly global in its scope, with major practitioners and groups located in Brazil, Argentina, Western Europe, the Soviet bloc countries, and North America. Across the globe, concrete poets created art objects composed of words, letters, colors, and typefaces, in which graphic space plays a central role in both design and meaning. In the works of poets and artists such as Eugen Gomringer, Mary Ellen Solt, Augusto de Campos, Ian Hamilton Finlay, and Julio Plaza, you'll find bold experiments with language that incorporate visual, verbal, kinetic, and sonic elements. What you won't find in most historical anthologies are many women. As in so many literary movements, the foundational contributions of female-identified writers has been overlooked and suppressed. Until now, when De La Torre and Balju's volume completely rewrites the history of the concrete poetry movement, giving us a new template for understanding not only concrete poetry, but literary and artistic modernism, international poetry, and the intersection of literature, visual art, and graphic design. At a moment when we're systematically reevaluating the role of women in the culture industry, Women in Concrete Poetry is an essential volume. Plus, it's a whole heck of a lot of fun to read. I spoke with De La Torre and Balju about the challenges of creating an archival anthology during a pandemic, the importance of feminist recovery projects, and the politics of experimenting with language. If you'd like to see examples of concrete poetry and some excerpts from the volume, go to our website at airlightmagazine.org. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi, I'm Monica de la Torre, and I am joining you from Loan City, Queens. And I am Alexander Balju, and I'm speaking from France on the other side of the ocean in Lyon, where I'm currently teaching in the Fine Arts School of Lyon. Great. And so as, as we've established, I'm normally in Los Angeles, but I'm in Tucson right now. So we've got a real wide spread of, uh, of time zones here. Just in case people are unfamiliar, um, can you just describe what concrete poetry is and just kind of tell us you know, what it means to call something concrete poetry? Take it away, Alex. Um, well, I mean, many things. I think that whole question could could um, last us for the entire duration of the podcast. I think the, I, at least the way I found interest in concrete poetry coming from the field of design, which I think maybe what I see incredibly valuable in concrete poetry is that it led someone like me who comes from the materiality of text and from from the approach of of the form of the of the of the object to actually um, you know being involved and engaged more and more with the practice of writing and I think that I, I find that a beautiful if not definition at least um, perspective of concrete poetry that it questions our relationship to the materiality of language and it also speaks of spaces of poetry that kind of escape perhaps um, like very enclosed to definitions. And um, I think it, it has a, a, a space of freedom there that kind of um, goes beyond disciplines. It's a practice and an activity more than it is a department or 
a field per se, I would say. Yeah, and maybe just to put it a bit in historical context, so um, there were a number of simultaneous manifestos um, in the late 50s, um, primarily by the Brazilian group, the Noisandres group, they, they take the name from Noisandres, they take it from uh, Pound, who described in their 1958 uh the pilot program for concrete, concrete poetry, they describe concrete poetry as the tension of word, words hyphen things in space hyphen time. Now, why is that important? I think it gets to what Alice is talking about in terms of the materiality of language in that words are seen as things that exist both in time because a word, right, unfolds temporally, but on the page exists in space and has physical attributes. So just like it's an orientation of language, um, a view of language that considers how it actually takes shape on the page or sonically um, and what that can do in order to articulate poetry that minds those things as opposed to take them for granted and focus mainly on the thing that's being expressed. So that would be a very basic way to understand concrete poetry, but also incredibly, an incredibly complicated thing, right? That opens up multiple possibilities. So to just what's really interesting about concrete poetry is that it is always, of course, minding language of materiality, but concrete poetry is also an investigation into the possibilities and the possible meaning of what concrete poetry or concrete practice might entail and that thing keeps changing it's interesting to think of you guys as working on this collection before like during the early stages of lockdown because there's something it does seem really suitable as like lockdown pandemic poetry or writing some way in some something that's so design oriented and visual oriented and also has the potential to be just kind of abstract and kind of more I don't know, just almost not dist distracting in a good way or something. I could see that being really a refreshing project to work on and the fact of just having a project in general. Well, I mean, to, to speak about, about the project, I mean, we, we, we certainly finished the, the project this spring, but it's been already quite some time, I would say even a couple of years, that it, we've, we've been talking about, um, you know, trying to sort of map the continuities between like the, let's say the very first stage of uh, identified or manifested uh, practices of poetry um, in the concrete sense and i would say the um, openings and the the, the diversity of, of approaches and i think that also uh, one aspect that is interesting about the process is that we um, started to somehow collect those uh, poems and those um, publications when oftentimes when the publications were um, not available that much in, in, in the different libraries or institutions. So um, it was also a, a work that took its time to find, uh, to research um, some poets and some poets we knew could potentially have some uh, practices that involve concrete poetry, but not only. And it was like kind of a guessing game to kind of see, okay, maybe, you know, this is a kind of speculative thing. Like maybe there should be something interesting there because, the, you know, there's different aspects of the practice that can sort of intersect in that place. Concrete poetry kind of came to be 
a place that is way more open than the idea that we had of concrete poetry in a sense that it wasn't to say, okay, we need to now find a new, it's the time to make a new ontology. It's more that we somehow realized that it was the place of intersection of an amazing amount of authors and artists who at that particular moment had a, 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 an interest uh, in how to bring that materiality of language forth and in a very specific kind of way, which wasn't fully, you know, artist books or fully um, like um, concept art pieces. And, but of course it dialogues with all of these spaces. So I think for me, concrete poetry is so much a threshold between a lot of things that it became very meaningful in today's context. Alex has been very generous in saying that we both collected the materials. Um, I'll be I'll be a little more candid, perhaps. Like Alex is most definitely the collector here. He has the bug, the collecting bug, and he is in Europe, where a lot of these publications circulate much more um, readily than in the U.S. So I think I was very I came on the I came on board later in the project. Alex has been working on this since how long, Alex? I would I, say it's three years. Like three years. And I came on board at the beginning of 2019. Um, and so a lot of the publications were already in Alice's hands. Now, why is this important? It is very important because our deadline was June 1st, correct? Our second deadline. We had a number of deadlines. Really but our June. deadline, our, 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 our real, the hard deadline was June 1st. And um beginning in March, we were thinking of scanning all the material that we needed to scan. And of course, all institutions were in lockdown. They were closed and not available. So thanks to Alex's absolutely incredible and super thorough collection, we didn't need to not go to press and meet our deadline. We we were able to meet it because he already had um, a lot of his material. I, I love that it is such a a collector's project, such an archival project, and such a kind of a recovery project, especially given the orientation around women in concrete poetry. So I guess I'm I'm curious what um what is the relevance or what does it do that other forms of feminist writing can't do, or why is it an important part of that that world? In Italy in particular, I would say that the intersection between these investigations and feminism is much more pronounced and articulated than in other, like in, in other milieus in which concrete poetry took hold. And, um, you see it, for instance, in Mireya Bentivoglio's, uh, projects research projects and her books and her art and in all the exhibitions that she curated her main goal was to create constellations of women who were investigating the intersection between words and images and um she start she one of one of the many things she did she was an incredibly prolific and dynamic person really unbelievable i mean one day we'll get caught up with everything she did but she was studying the women in futurism which of course are completely obscured from history and um and kind of tracing some of the roots in the 20th century for this movement in futurism 
And um, in creating these constellations, part of what she's trying to do, and it's also very clear in Tommaso Binga's work, who was another, who was another one of the Italian contributors still alive, is to kind of return language to the body and to emphasize the role of women in the transmission of language to their children, for instance, how mothering, and this is something that is written a lot about in, in scholarly terms, but yeah, like the role of women in terms of the transmission of language. And we talk about a mother tongue, for instance, right? So what is it? Like w- then at some point language, when it becomes scriptural, it is completely detached from its source. And part of the feminist investigation was to bring it back on, on the one hand. Um, Tomaso Binga talks about language as the written language in particular in the scriptural tradition as being innately patriarchal and wants to remove these elements in her writing and make it overtly feminine and all like it, provide an alternative, create tap into or create a different language that is is able to escape the patriarchy. So in some of the works in the anthology, what you see is she's taking the, the typewritten that um, they're called datilo codice, and she's taking the keys in the in the keyboard, and then superimposing the letters and creating a different vocabulary, right? That is, yeah, is, is her own and therefore is also just totally feminist in, ex- explicitly because those are part of her formulation. Her name itself is a feminist gesture. Um, she takes Tommaso, the Tommaso in Marinetti's middle name, removes an M and uh, adopts a male name. To, to just play with gender, with, with, with the fluidity of gender and adopting the male subjectivity and seeing like how people respond to a male persona. So, yeah, that would be one thing I would say. Maybe Alex wants to, yeah, say more about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think that additionally, I think the, since concrete poetry really deals with systems of signs and codes, it's particularly powerful to dismantle, to challenge and hope to dismantle structures of power and domination. And I think that, um, you know, because that sort of uh, sign um, sign analysis and especially looking at forms of, of language that can exist in our surroundings and our daily lives and like not only, you know, literary structures and environments, but also visual communication, advertising, you know, um, any kind of conditions and uh, any kind of uh, mediums as well. You know, the, the fact that uh, Mirta Dermisace, um, uh, you know, uses the newspaper as the space of uh, her um, work. Basically, it, it reveals that, that there is a form of resistance and political position, a strong uh, political position that can take place and live by um, sort of investing itself in those strategies that concrete poetry offers and i think that in a way i i think it's 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 really the the way to you know sometimes even play with the language of of advertising and this idea of condensation of language like what you know initially the idea of like condensing language to a word this is the kind of the gum ringer um it's interesting because like that, that kind of patriarchal 
a voice in concrete poetry is Gomringer um, and is about like somehow this um, optimistic um, encounter between poetry and the commercial world. Because of course, you know, you condense the message to a, a word and a sign and a space and you're able to communicate more efficiently and to sell products more, more efficiently. And that modernism is very benevolent to uh, advertising into capitalism. And in a way, um, reappropriating themselves these tools to make something powerful and meaningful and feminist is, I think, uh, a strategy that is, I think, indeed, like more or less communicated uh, overtly and, and explicitly, but certainly at the core of a lot of the poets that we um, studied. And I think that I find that incredibly powerful and beautiful. I'm really glad for your recovery project, bringing out the sort of the, the feminist angle of concrete poetry, because I think that is, at least in my understanding of the genre, something, I mean, that makes sense, but something kind of new, because I'd always associated concrete poetry a lot in terms of its political orientation with kind of being in kind of against the various dictatorships in Latin America, like in Brazil and Argentina, I guess. Is that, is that am, I, am I right to think to think that, <laughs> to associate it with those movements? Would, I would just say that in Brazil, for instance, uh, concrete poets are not necessarily, I mean, they're, they're obviously not pro-dictatorship, but they're, they're also not against it deliberately. Like, they're, they want to keep politics out of the poem. So the poem is pointing, like, in their version of what concrete poetry is, it's always pointing inward. It is self self-reflective media it communicate like the medium is it the medium is the message it's also yeah a total McLuhan right so there's no message outside of the poem itself and in some cases it's very oppositional and confrontational and critical for instance the beba coca-cola of desert is natale right but 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 it, it, it doesn't necessarily posit the poem as a vehicle of social protest. The male version, um, or the yeah, the official concrete poetry version. It's also very techno utopian, right? So it's really it's really where where concrete poetry and it's sort of when it gets taken up and used by feminist writers and that it becomes kind of it's the the the, the political possibilities of it get kind of unlocked. Is that a good way of thinking about it? That that it once it becomes like a feminist, like kind of a tool for feminist writing, it becomes much more politically charged then? Yes, I believe so. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the case, but in the very, I, I think, in the case of Mirta Dermisachi, for instance, um, who whose writing, as Alex said, is always occupying formats, print formats that are very, very legible and that are loaded with conventions. So you have like newspapers, newsletters, postcards, big tomes. And so she she makes the, the vehicle for the writing super legible you, and, it, and then she subverts the expectations by presenting you with a scenic writing, like highly differentiated systems of writing that um, like all are these inscriptions on the page that are rich and super expressive and undecipherable. And so some read that as a super political gesture. And she refused that reading. 
she wanted the, 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 all the multiple readings that that writing could give rise to, to be possible. Like she didn't want one reading to determine what she was doing. And so uh, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying, but I would also wouldn't, I wouldn't make that claim without nuance and, and, and attention to the specificity of each one of the participants and the movement or contributors to the book. Yeah. In, in, what do I you think, think Alex? Yeah, I, I think that in, in somehow maybe that engagement is never first degree engagement or maybe not never, but it's rarely a first degree political engagement. It always, I mean, it oftentimes um, manifests itself through themes that are more complex. And I think a lot, perhaps a lot of the poets want to maybe avoid the illustrative kind of uh, overtly political, like the, the, the kind of playing with the, with the canons or the, or the signs of, of political manifestations, but kind of have an attitude and find uh, solutions and themes and questions and raise questions that are highly political. And I, th- I think that's kind of somehow a distinction in that I think that what, what was something that was really beautiful for us to read, to try to interpret and, and to try to kind of have an active reading in that particular sense. Just one one small thing that I want to add to that is like, yeah, I think in most cases, the politics of the poems prevail over the politics in the poems. There are very few poems in the book. In fact, I don't think there is a single poem that is whose, whose politics are overt. It's more the politic of the poem, not the politics in the poem. Yeah. Do you guys think that it is kind of a, a medium that is at least that is suited to the present. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in in many different ways, I think it. I think it's it's um, it's density, its openness is something that fits very much our ways of communicating and talking to each other. You know, I think and and somehow like that sort of speed at which um, life is uh, engaged in and those mediums that we use to to teach and express ourselves and the the networks um, first of all strategically I think it's a great space to kind of get involved um, and I also think that the medium of the anthology in the way we try to conceive it is less a retrospective gesture as a way to say, okay, this this happened in the past and we're doing a new version of another story that was told before and blah, blah, blah. It was more to say, I think we one can approach an anthology less as a gesture of definition, as in like proposing solutions, but more perhaps as a speculative forward-oriented um, approach, which would be asking questions. And I, I think that's, the thing I like the most about this project is that it raises tons of questions from the cover to the inside, to the intro, to our selection, like even ourselves. We, I think we're constantly kind of asking ourselves, okay, this is printed inside, but is, you know, what is it like? And I think that that form of resistance of the poems is just so powerful. And I think it's like a great, um, I think it's a kind of a wave of, of hope for you know, being able to find very subtle and precise ways to express oneself politically and 
um, yeah, and, and, and state certain things in an open and, and playful way. I think that's really an example. It's exemplary in that sense. Yeah. What I would add to this um, is, well, in terms of the anthology or the, yeah, that what, 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 is, what does it mean to anthologize something, right? And as Alex said, something that hasn't been anthologized before. Clearly, it seems relevant, at least, in the sense, I mean, no, in many ways, but what, what, what I mean to say is in the sense that it instantly tells you that the official history that we have received of concrete poetry is basically fabricated. It is not what we think. I mean, it is like, it really, it, it never ceases to surprise me that some of these women were super close to the main proponents of, of concrete poetry they were collaborating with them. Why are they not in the books? I don't understand. So it just, the, 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 the instant message it communicates is that what you thought was, what you thought concrete poetry was or the official history of the movement is like not true. It's a lie. You could always dig deeper and find everything that the visibility, like all the invisibilities that visibilities create. So I think that's a relevant message, very timely right now. And then um, at the level of like the poems in the anthology, I think one of the things that, ha that, that, that has been happening to me that feels really palpable, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, was the sense of language being insufficient, which is like language is failing us. Language is failing to capture the complexity of what's going on, the radical transformations, the complete shift, like everything's upside down and, 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 and the, the veil that had been lifted, right? In terms of inequality, for instance. So, um, I feel like one way to articulate a, a very potent critique is by dismantling discourses. And how do you do that on the uh, very basic level? You do it by getting rid of syntax. Because in a way, syntax shackles things, and it and it and it and it proposes unidirectional statements and utterances that can then be contested. But what if you just let words speak? What if you remove, like, take them outside of syntax and propose open systems for the reader to engage with? That still is like a super literary. It's it's not a it's not a, a gesture against literature. I think it's actually tapping into. What is the most exquisite thing about literature? Polysemy. And the fact that the reader and the, engage, the person who engages with language is completely authorized to make meanings and generate meanings and become involved in the process. So I think a lot of the work here is doing precisely that. Um, it's not necessarily invested in articulating a critique that would then have blind spots. It's leaving propositions open so that you, the reader, decide what it is that you want to do with the thing that you've been given. And I think that's a radical message right now, too.